wisdom in Israel. Uh, and I went. I did that. That's where we started, right? Mm-hmm. So we're yeah. going to do our second week of Proverbs. Uh, and here's the famous uh, seven pillars oh, of wisdom. Here we are. All right. So one of the common structures or images for the book of uh, Proverbs is in chapter nine. Uh, chapter nine, verse one, which says, "Wisdom has built her house; she has set up her seven columns." So that's seen as an image of wisdom, um, the seven columns. Uh, and this is from the St. John's Bible, which is a new Bible that was commissioned recently. It's an entire Bible with calligraphy, and they commissioned a lot of new artworks, kind of modern artwork. So this is the, the piece of art that's with the wisdom book. And so, again, you have the symbols. You have the seven columns right, representing the seven pillars of wisdom. Uh, wisdom is seen as the tree of life. So stylistically, you have this represents the tree of life. Um, wisdom is something that you build your... It's a firm, firm foundation that you can build your life upon. So symbolically, they have the city built upon a <coughs> column of wisdom. Right, so it's a sure foundation. Uh, Is that drawn anywhere in any of our books, Jeff? Uh, no, it's a. Uh, yeah, they used it. You know, Jim noticed that they used it as the. This is the New College Book Commentary okay. book on Proverbs. Is that where it came from? So that you, well, you can buy you can buy issues of the St. John's Bible. And that would have all the original artwork in it, and, and they're 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 really designed more like coffee table than for reading because they're written in calligraphy, so they're not so easy to read. But I find a lot of a lot of the art is very interesting, and it's just beautiful to look at. Yeah. So. Very very pretty. Yeah. I like that. So, um, and then uh, and we talked about Lady Wisdom offering, you know, trying to entice people into her banquet of. And so this is symbolically the banquet that she's inviting people in. So you have the, the flask of wine and you have the bread, which is the symbol of the host. So we would we would see it, we would see Christ, symbols of the Eucharist of Christ. So really inviting. We would tell, now we see the Old Testament with New Testament eyes, where the invitation is to come in and receive Jesus in the Eucharist, receive Jesus wisdom in the Eucharist. Okay, so that kind of you said foreshadowing. So these Old Testament images that you that the Old Testament writers or readers wouldn't get, but in light of the New Testament, it makes a whole lot more sense, or it makes a deeper sense, deeper meaning. You can see the Eucharist. Now. Mm-hmm. So there's no way they could have seen the Eucharist back in the Old Testament. So because it was foreshadowing, it was like pointing toward the fulfillment of Jesus. That almost looks like it should be in the Atlas. It's so pretty. Yeah. I love that Atlas book. Yeah. It's my very favorite book of all books. And then, and let me just this is this is a side comment. I, I try to be I try to be uh, legal when it comes to the whole copyright thing. Mm-hmm. So I knew this one is recent, so I knew it was copyrighted. So I actually went and got permission to show this to you guys. Oh, wow. Copyright. So I'm going to show you the credits at the end just to be totally legal because I have to show the credits. Um, I try. 
and I try to be as legal as I can. And, and in, in addition, since I'm going to put it on Facebook, I figure that's not <laughs> yeah. you know, not just uh, press it. So anyway, that's again uh, a piece of art that is trying to um, I just help understanding, help a, a deeper the understanding of the book of uh, Proverbs. Okay, and this idea of seven columns or seven pillars of wisdom is also seen in this, some commentator seen in the structure of the book itself. Now I'm repeating some of the things from last week, but I think they're very key. So when you read both, he organized the book of Proverbs in seven sections, again, representing the seven pillars of wisdom. And uh, different commentators will split it different ways, but that's what both does, and it fits in nicely. And so he sees each one of these sections separated by its own introduction. So these are the introductory verses. Like we read section 1, chapter 1, that I, the prov- begins with the Proverbs of Solomon. And then the next section, 10 to 22, begins with the words, also Proverbs of Solomon. And then sayings of the wise and saying, also sayings of the wise. So each one of these is seen as a separate little collection of Proverbs that were all put together. Uh, we will, of course, we, we, we read 1 to 9, which is the first pillar. We're going to do the rest next week, but we're only going to read eight chapters. So you're really reading as much as you did last week. Last week you did nine chapters, but they're going to be selections. <coughs> so we're going to read some of each of these sections. We'll read 10 and 16, 22 to 24. Pillar 4 is only part of 24. We're going to read 24. Read chapter 28 and then 30 and 31. So the ones in black are not required readings, but you're invited to read everything, of course. Of course. Of course. Okay. Um, so, uh, now, this may not have struck you, but the chapters you read last week, there was a kind of unity that did seem to fit together uh, as compared to what you're going to read next week, where where there seems to be a unity lacking. It often seems like you get just like a random collection of, sh- of short, pithy sayings. You'll have you know a verse and another verse, and it's not clear how they fit together. But you're going to see more of that in what you're going to be reading next week. Uh, and the name for this, the name for this, uh, this idea of a short, pithy statement, the name for that is called aphorism. That's called an aphorism. And an aphorism is a very short, terse expression, statement, expressing a general truth or an astute observation. Aphorism, a very short, terse saying, expressing a general truth or astute observation. Frequently using, we've talked about this before, frequently using poetic parallelism, where a thought is expressed in one line and then the same idea is expressed in a second line or parallel verse and it can either be expressed using different words but saying the same idea we call that synonymous parallelism or the second line can be expressing the opposite of the first line and we call that antithetic parallelism so we've talked about that before so you'll see this coming up over and over again. I'll give you some examples when I go through. So, uh, one example. 
try to show. One example is Proverbs 10.10. He who winks at a fault causes trouble, but he who frankly reproves promotes peace. An example of what kind of parallelism? Okay. Everybody agree on that? So you see this a lot. Antithetic or synonymous parallelism. Uh, again, short, pithy statement expressing a general truth. Terse, pithy. pithy, pithy, short. All right, some additional literary forms less common that you'll see this week are the riddle. So a riddle is a statement or question having a hidden meaning but is presented kind of as a puzzle to be solved. And the, the written, just again, this is less common, but you will see some, especially in chapter 30. And the proverb riddles are typically presented using numeric sayings. We've had this in some other years. Um, so an example, an example of this is in chapter 30, 21 to 23. So it's a numeric saying, but it's also a riddle presented to be solved. It has a hidden meaning that you need to solve. So Proverbs 30, 21 to 23. Under three things the earth trembles. Yes, under four it cannot bear up. Does that sound like mm-hmm. under three things and then four? Like that's it. You got them all. And these are then will then they'll list four things. So under a slave when he becomes king, and a fool when he is glutted with food, and an odious woman. An odious woman is a uh, bad-tempered woman, mm-hmm. or a disagreeable woman, yeah. or anybody who's odious would be disagreeable or bad-tempered. When she is wed, and a maidservant when she displaces her mistress. Mm-hmm. So you've got the numeric statements, but you have the riddle because the question is, well, these are really trying, they have a, con- they have a connection. And the riddle asks you to try to figure out what, how do all these things connect? How do they make sense together and not just separate? <laughs> and there's probably more than one answer. And Betty has answer number two, number one. Um, should I, I can give you one, one explanation that somebody proposed. This is in the College World Commentary. What they're saying is that all of these, each of these represents a, a human stereotype or a type of human displaying arrogance or someone who has gone way past their ability and makes up for that their incompetence by being overbearing. Did we, what do we say? The Peter Principle? Mm-hmm. You rise to your level of incompetence. Mm-hmm. You ever have a boss who's incompetent? <laughs> they can be overbearing, mm-hmm. like making up for their lack. That's one thought. That these, these are examples of that phenomenon. You may or may not agree with that. But the point is, you, you may see some of these riddles and you may see some of these numeric statements. Uh, but again, a numeric saying, but again, it's, it's less. Most of them, most of what you're going to read are the aphorism. 
Alright, so those are some literary forms uh, in Proverbs, but again, aphorism using poetic parallelism will be the predominant form. Um, now, some of the literary characteristics of the aphoristic form. So we'll talk about this aphoristic form a little more. And these four characteristics are taken from Roland's Murphy. Roland Murphy is the tree of life. So in your, at the end of your reading, it lists some additional supplementary that if you want to get into it, they're not required. Uh, but I have some of those. One is The Lighthearted View of Wisdom by James Fisher. And the other is Roland Murphy, The Tree of Life. So I do draw some of my lecture out of these, uh, these references, in addition to both, which is a required reading. So these, these, um, uh, these characteristics of aphoristic form are taken from Roland Murphy's The Tree of Life. So he says aphorisms are presented as a, 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 a priori, a priori, a priori. And an a priori, a priori, a priori statement is, is something whose truth is self-evident. So if you make a statement, it doesn't need to be proved. The truth is a given, and it seems to have come with its own authority. So this is a very simple example. If I say 2 plus 2 is 4, that's an a priori statement. I'm presenting it as a truth. I don't need to prove it. That's true. That's an example of an a priori, simple example of an a priori statement. Right. So the second characteristic of aphorisms is that it gives insight, but it challenges the hearer to go deeper to figure out how to apply it to a specific situation. So you get a general truth, but the challenge is how to apply it in specific situations, because you don't get that in the in the aphorism. I'll give you an example. So Proverbs 10:12 says, "Hatred stirs up disputes, but love covers all offenses." That's presented as a priori statement. It's true. It doesn't have to be proven. Everybody will nod their head. Maybe not everybody, but that's how it's presented. That everybody would agree with that. The challenge is in a specific situation. How do you apply that? If there's an offense. Exactly, how do you love that person? Because you know, sometimes you have to do tough love. Sometimes you have to do free forgiveness, and it all depends on the situation. So these will challenge the reader on how to apply this general truth. Uh, another example: where words are many, sin is not wanted, but he who restrains his lips does well. That sounds like general truth. Um, So again, but how do you apply this in a specific situation? That's the challenge. Um, and and this, this one in particular brings up another characteristic of some aphoristic statements, and that is sometimes you get a reversal of what you might expect. So I could look at this uh, and say, well, words are many, sin is not wanted, but he who restrains his lips does well. But I could say, well, wait a minute. If a person is wise, maybe it makes more sense to you, for them to use many words so they can share their wisdom. And maybe 
maybe the opposite. So this is, in a sense, saying the opposite of what you might expect in some situations. Like this would say, I should stop talking now, right? But I'm going to keep talking. <laughs> so anyway, so sometimes you'll see a reversal of expectations in some of these aphorisms. Um, and the fourth characteristic is that it's concise, and that's like one of the basic definitions of an aphorism. The point of an the aphoristic, aphoristic form is to give the maximum meaning with the minimum words. Maximum meaning with the minimum words. Okay, now I'm going to just look at a couple specific sections for next week. In, uh, in the third pillar, the third collection begins with the with this with the words the sayings of the wise. So in that in this collection, the wise one, the sage, tells the reader that they will make known the words of Amenapen, Amen, Amen M Opet, Amen M Opet. So they're going to make known the words of Amen and Opet. Now it turns out that there is an extra-biblical wisdom literature, meaning there's literature outside the Bible from Egypt that's called the instructions of Amen and Moped. Same word, dating from 1200 B.C. We talked about how wisdom literature is shared amongst the different cultures, so this is a prime example where you'll see actually the name and you have writings from the Egyptian literature that mirror what you're going to read in Proverbs. Uh, and this it was written this Egyptian writing was written on an Egyptian by an Egyptian scribe as instructions to his son and it consists of 30 chapters and there's clear similarities between the Egyptian papyrus and uh, third pillar in Proverbs uh, and the general consensus is that Proverbs probably borrowed from the Egyptian writing because Proverbs is thought to come later and this will be one of your homework questions. And in supplementary reading three, uh, in one of your homework questions, uh, uh, gives you some of the excerpts from that. So you'll get to compare the Egyptian writing to what Proverbs says. And then you'll see they're very, very similar. Um, one of the most, just a little, I don't know, maybe historical, architectural background, I uh, archaeological background. They actually have these papyruses and one of the most complete scrolls of this Egyptian uh, papyrus is in the British Museum and this is from their website. And this is a, a close-up of that third panel. It's kind of just interesting because you think of Egypt with the hieroglyphics, hieroglyphics but it looks more like uh, I don't know, Hebrew or I'm not sure, Syrian writing or something. I think that was a scroll and they cut pieces off? So they they think it's, it was papyrus. Uh, whether it was... I think papyruses were in scrolls, I think, and they probably cut it. I'm not really sure about that. Yeah, yeah well, that's, that's the piece from the left. So it looks like they ha do have it in pieces. That's the piece from the left. Uh, and then I'll talk, just want to talk briefly about the seventh pillar. Uh, the seventh pillar of the last collection, which is chapter 31, and this collection opens with the words, the words of Lemuel, Lemuel, 
king of Massa, Lemuel, king of Massa, the advice which his mother gave him. So Proverbs is uh, often presented as the father giving advice, but also often as the mother giving advice. And this one is the case, is the mother is giving advice to her son. So what we have here is the advice of Lemuel's mother to her son. Now eventually, when her son becomes king, she will become the queen mother, right? And she gave these advice, this advice to Lemuel as a young man when he was the king-to-be or the king-in-training. In the first nine verses, he gets three, maybe almost standard warnings, the dangers of wine, women, and injustice. You want to say song, right? Wine, women, and song. But it's wine, women, and injustice. Um, so avoid drink because it interferes with good judgment. Restrain your sexual appetite, which is interesting because we know Solomon ended up with uh, with three three hundred thousand wives, so he kind of went off the rails a little bit at the end of his career. And lastly, respect respect the right of the poor, right? Exercise ju- uh, justice. And this collection and the Book of Proverbs, this is the last one, ends with twenty-two verses that are in, entitled "The Ideal Wife." The Ideal Wife. So these are Lemuel's mother's advice to him on how to find a good wife. And these 22 verses are an acrostic. You remember acrostic? Mm-hmm. It's 22 verses. So each, and if, you, if you could read Hebrew, and you read this in Hebrew, you'd see that each verse began with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And it's thought that they did this partly as a memory aid. And of course, we lose all this in translation. But this was an acrostic. Uh, and on the surface, when you read it, it sounds like a description of a good or perfect wife and the importance of finding a good wife. But it also has a deeper meaning, right? Because it's also a personification of wisdom. Again, Lady Wisdom again from chapter 9. So the acrostic, uh, the acrostic begins with... Uh, when one finds a worthy wife, when you read this, you can translate wisdom. When one finds wisdom, when one finds a worthy wife, her value is far beyond pearls. So again, you have the idea of the pearls of wisdom in Proverbs 31.10. So the challenge is, where do you find a worthy wife? Or you might say, where do you find wisdom? And I think the answer is in verse 30, which is the second to the last verse, is the answer which says, verse, chapter 31, verse 30 says, Charm is deceptive and beauty clean. The woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Mm-hmm. So you kind of get back to the whole idea of fear of the Lord. Mm-hmm. So fear of the Lord is, again, the key to finding wisdom. Uh, so just to wrap this uh, lecture up, uh, in Proverbs, I just want to go over some unifying themes, some themes that unify uh, this book of Proverbs. Because much of Proverbs does seem to be what we call a hodgepodge or a random collection of independent thoughts or independent problems. But there are some common themes that unify the entire book. And these common themes are the wise are associated with the just and are contrasted with the foolish who are associated with the wicked. Wisdom leads to life and prosperity and it seems to be saying life and prosperity in this life. Whereas foolishness leads to ruin and death. And again, fear of the Lord 
that the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and again, this comes up throughout the book. And the point of that handout is hopefully to demonstrate that that term fear of the Lord just, just doesn't come up in this book or that book, but you're going to see it's peppered throughout the whole book of Proverbs. And wisdom personified as a woman. That's another kind of thing. Uh, and we met her as Lady Wisdom in chapter 9, mm-hmm. and we'll meet her again as the ideal wife in chapter 31. And here's the credits for that thing. Okay. Ah, humble. And here's me and my wife. Oh, oh that's beautiful. Where's yeah. this, Joe? This is Ocean City. Oh, for goodness sake. I didn't tell Jimmy I was going to do that. Right, she just like said, it. don't do it, but yeah, I, I, I had to put that up there. Oh, I love it. Let's go back to the citation, please. Yes. We'll cover everything. So it's the, it's, the, it's the picture, but what you couldn't see is they actually had the scripture verses there. Mm-hmm. So they had to give credit to the people that published the Bible when they mm-hmm. copied the Bible. So yeah. that's followed through here also. Hmm. I want to see your picture. Oh, you want to see my picture? Oh, yeah. I love it. Yeah, that's not good. You look like you're yeah, on the Oh, I love it. Mm-hmm. I, I, I posted that. Uh, I posted that on Facebook because somebody told us just before that they said uh, living. Oh, I saw it in, uh, maybe it was a tour, something on TV or uh, anyway. I heard someone say living near water is good for the soul. Oh yes, oh, living yeah. living near the ocean. And I thought. Mm-hmm. That's good. I like that. Mm-hmm. There's something about right. living near the ocean, near the water. It's just a good place to live. Yes, I felt that way all my life. Yeah. Okay. Say, our Father, mm-hmm. our right. Son, the Holy Spirit, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, thank you everybody. Thank you. Take this cake. Have a good week.